Good Christmas? Yeah, ready for New Year's? Aren't you really hoping 2021 is, is a brand new year? I mean, we really need a new year like never before. Uh, next Sunday, I will be starting a brand new message series entitled Growth Spurt. I'm sort of counting on the fact that you're like me. I don't want another year like 2020. I really don't. I, I don't want to live uh, in the way that I lived in the last year. Not that anything bad, I, I really didn't, but I, I felt... Um, I just want a new start. I want a new start with the Lord. I want to start some new habits. I want to recover some old habits. I just want to be better in every single way for the Lord and in my spiritual life. And I'm counting on you, I think, feeling the same way. So we start a new sermon series next week entitled Growth Spurt, and we are going to make it a shot in the arm to make, not a pun there. We are going to try our best to have a brand new start in a time when we really, really need it. So that'll be next week. Today, let's finish up one more sermon in the message series entitled, Call His Name. And with that, we'll open to the book of Revelation. This is good. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. If you're joining us by way of Facebook Live, YouTube, good morning to you. We're so glad you're with us. Grab a Bible and open it to Revelation chapter 19. Yes, I said Revelation. You're thinking, is, is this Christmas? Is this New Year's? What is this, Pastor Tim? Oh, it's, I guess it's still Christmas. This is still Christmas or the season that the church calls Advent. The word Advent literally means coming, yeah, or arrival. So we've been talking about the arrival of, of Jesus, the coming of the Christ, the first coming. But you know he's coming again. He's coming again. Now let me read. This is from the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, help me out, Emily. I can't get my slides to change here. See, this is 2020 right here. Uh, it's in a nutshell. Uh, can, you, can you find my slides? Can you help me get it up? Okay, okay. So we're we're, we're loading now. First Timothy, uh, First Timothy. I'll just turn to you. I got a Bible in front of me. First Timothy, chapter six. Yeah, fifteen and sixteen. I, who, who said that? How'd you know? You got the live event. Yeah, I wish I did. Wish I had it in front of me. First Timothy, chapter six, verse 14, verse fifteen says this: At just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die, and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. I, I love that. We're talking about the second coming of Jesus now. Again, Advent is a very unique time in the church's life because it causes us to look back, to look back at Jesus' first coming, but also to look forward, to look forward to his second coming. Now, I just felt like it wouldn't really be appropriate for us to blow through Advent, to blow through Christmas, and not stop and look forward to the, to the moment when he comes again. He's coming again. He's coming again. And if his first coming was Jesus coming to earth, soft as winter snow and silent as night, understand, next time he comes, it will not be soft and it will not be silent. As a matter of fact, next time you see him, it won't be anything at all like the first coming. So let's turn to the book of Revelation and talk about it. Revelation chapter 19. I alluded last week to this passage 
I just want to call you to it this morning and, and, and let's take it for what it is. We're talking about the names of Jesus, right? Call his name is the name of this series. And in chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus comes again in a way like you've never seen him. And just pay attention to this long, long list of names that we, we find in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Here we go. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Now, good? On his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I, I love that. Did you catch all of those names? So Moses stood barefoot, arguing with the God who had called his name from across the sand. God had said to Moses that he had a job for him, that he wanted him to go stand before Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh let his people go. And Moses said, who am I? As if it's a pertinent question. Moses said, who am I? Who am I to stand before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead your people? And, and God answered, I will be with you. It was a promise. I will be with you. Of course, Moses realized in that moment that that, that promise was not going to be enough. That when he stood before Pharaoh, Pharaoh was going to need more. And when he approached the people of God, they were going to want a little bit more too. Moses needed a name. He needed a name. When he stood before Pharaoh and said, thus says the Lord, Pharaoh was going to say, which Lord? What Lord? What is his name? Do you understand? Pharaoh is going to want to know a name. And, and the same thing for the people of God. If Moses goes before the people of Israel and says that he's had this conversation with the Lord, they're going to say, what's his name? Because anything else Moses says isn't going to mean much if in that whole conversation he didn't manage to catch the Lord's name. He needs a name. So Moses dares to ask this presence, speaking from the flaming, burning bush. He just dares to ask. He just says, what is your name? When I get to the people, they're going to ask me what your name is. So, so what is your name? And, and the Lord responds, you can call me I am who I am, something like that. It's a name, it's also not a name. What God gives in that moment is, it's, it's not a name, it's a verb. It's the Hebrew verb for to be, but, but it's that verb twisted and stretched and, and moved beyond our recognition. We translate it, I, I am, I, I am who I am. God gives a name, 
But at the same time, it's, it's not a name. He, he, he gives and withholds at the very same time. Did you understand that? Because he has to. Moses can't quite bear the name of the Lord. You, you and I can't either. See, in, in the Old Testament, in, in the biblical context, please understand, names are very important. In the Bible, whenever, if, if one person names another person, it, it means to take authority over them. When, when Adam names all of the animals in creation, he gives them a name. That is an act of, of taking dominion, taking authority over. If, if you name, you immediately have authority. And so understand, even to possess the name of another person, that, that, that means something. It's a, it's a sign of relationship, but more than that, it's sort of a sign of ownership. If I possess your name, I, I possess some little part of you. And so you have to understand why it is that you and I can't necessarily possess the name of the Lord. We're not going to own a little piece of him. It's how names work. Even in our culture, that's how names work. In school, when you were a kid, if the bully wanted to, to somehow, you know, annoy you, what did the bully do? He would name you, give you a name, or he'd take your name and make fun of your name. And no matter what, there's something about that. You just can't take my name and make it ridiculous. There's something offensive about that to every one of us. So you're in school, and your name is Tommy, and so the kids will call you whatever. You know, Tommy Pajamas, whatever. They just make something up, and it's ridiculous to call you that. But at the very same time, to, to, to make your name ridiculous is an insult. It's an offense, and, and none of us can abide that. That's Really unsettling to have your name made fun of. I, I mean, Richie. What'd they call you, Richie? Uh, Richie, you know, Richie Fritchie, whatever. We just make it up. We make it sound ridiculous. And sometimes they can really get you. I feel sorry for, you know, like girls named Judy. I mean, it's a wonderful name, but, you know, rhymes with duty. And every kid in first grade, you know, that can't even read can put that together really quickly. And it's just that, you know, Warren's middle name is Boynton. They must have had fun with that. Boynton, you know, call you Booger Boynton, just add Booger to it. It doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. It makes the name ridiculous. And for anybody to make your name ridiculous, it's an insult, it's an offense. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I know in some ways I'm being funny, but you also know it's not funny. To, to have your name taken like that. And that's what happens whenever you give someone your name. They have that piece of you. And they can either show you respect or they can show you offense. It just depends on how they choose to use your name. Sometimes in, in, in church, it's funny because a lot of our parents here at Woodburn are old school and you teach your children that they don't call adults by their first name. It's kind of fun. In the old days, I know that these days respect isn't what it used to be, but a lot of us were raised that way. You just didn't call adults by their first name. It was about respect. As a child, your parents wanted you to understand that, that you need to respect others. You needed to learn your place. You're not a peer with older adults. You're not their equal. That's why you call them Mr. and Mrs. or, or, or brother or coach or whatever. Every now and then we'll get a little kid at church. Like, you know, actually, a couple of weeks ago, like one of our little kids, like four-year-old kid, walked in and said, Tim, like to me, like, like Tim. And his mama said, don't you call him, Tim. I mean, she blistered him right there in the lobby. 
It's Brother Tim. You call him Brother Tim. The kids just looked at me like. <laughs> but you understand? It's just that, you know, Tim, you know, kid, you know, I'm not Tim to you. I mean, you know, there's this, this sense in which we're not equals. And, and you need to understand that. It's about respect. So when Moses stares into the blazing furnace of God and says, tell me your name, do you understand the courage that that takes? Do you understand what he's asking? You can't have his name. You can't bear his name. And yet God gives something like a name. He gives something by which he can be called. It's a name. It's, it's not really a name. It's a verb. It's, it's turned inside out. It's but at the very same time, it's as much of his holiness that, that, that should ever pass through your filthy lips. That's the point. It's as much of his burning holiness that can possibly pass through your mouth without reducing you to ash. You understand what I'm saying? He is a holy God and you really cannot know his name. You're never going to be his equal. You're never going to possess even a small part of him. He is beyond you. He is above you. He is not common. He's not familiar. He's nothing at all like you. Understand what I'm saying? The name of the Lord is a holy, holy name. Now, this name that Moses receives, just, I just want to show you something. Open your Bible to nearly any place in the Old Testament. O open, seriously. Open your Bible to nearly any place in the, in the Old Testament. And just look down the page. I'm in the book of Exodus. And I look down the page, and if you'll notice, not every time, but most of the time, when you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, you'll see that it's capitalized. It's all in capital letters in your English translations. Do you know exactly why? It's because at every point when you see the word Lord in capital letters, that's not actually the word there. It's not actually the Hebrew word for Lord. It's actually that Hebrew name that God gives Moses at the burning bush. But for the most part, in Jewish tradition, that name is too holy. The, the Jews won't even say it. They won't pronounce it. They don't feel like that his holy name should ever be found on their filthy lips. And so they don't pronounce it. As a matter of fact, they won't even write it. And so that's why when it gets to that point in the text, they change it to Lord. But it's in capital letters so you know. The word's not Lord. It's actually four letters of his holy name. They won't even write the whole name. You understand, of course, that the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments is that you can't take this name in vain. This name is holy. And yet that's the one thing that some of us do all the time. We just use his name casually. I mean, he gives us this name. It's not even really his name, but that's the point. Once you have his name, you can either show him respect or, or, or you can begin to profane his name. First commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Thou shalt not, I mean, he's forbidden to do that. Honestly, it's one of the reasons I, I really struggle with HGTV. You know why? Because on every home makeover show, they walk in the door and what do they say? Oh my God. I, I know that some of you don't think anything about that. And, 
And this is what I'm saying to you. Like of all the things for which you should have your mouth washed out with soap, you don't take his holy name in your filthy mouth and use it like that. You know, if you're going to say his name, it's to be with respect and reverence. It's to be in worship and prayer. You don't just say, well, you know, my God, good Lord, Jesus Christ. God forgive me for saying his name in those ways. I just want you to hear it and understand the holiness of that name. Do you know what I'm saying? Did not offend you? Jesus. Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Then you get his holy name out of your mouth. It's forbidden. Like Ten Commandments, forbidden. OMG. You get his holy name out of your filthy mouth. His name is not to be profaned. It's not to be insulted. It's not to be used in vain. Have you no fear, no respect for him? You see, this is exactly the risk God takes when he gives you anything by which he can be called. You got his name now. You, you, you can use it or you can abuse it. And a whole lot of people say in Jesus' name 24 hours a day, they ain't praying. Oh my God should be an expression of worship. Not something you say when your friend, you know, you know, lands a wheelie on his new bicycle. You get his holy name out of your filthy mouth. So Moses says, what is your name? And God gives him a name. It's, it's not really a name. It, he, he reveals, but he also withholds. It, it's a verb for to be. I, I, I am who I am. And Mo, Moses takes that name. Why does God even give us that? Uh, again, knowing the way we are, knowing our filthy mouths and how we will just take his name and drag it through the mud. I mean, why does he even give us a name at all? Why doesn't he just tell Moses right then and there, my holiness cannot pass through your lips without reducing you to ash. So why don't you just not, no, no, no. God condescends, understand? He, he gives something by which he can be called. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to call his name. He wants relationship. That's the risk that God takes every time he reaches out to us. And please understand, you won't be reaching for him. He always reaches for you. Which brings us to Revelation chapter 19. I, I love this passage for the avalanche of names. You see, the fact of the matter is that there is no one name that we've been given because there's not, not, not that one name that we could even bear. And so instead we have many, many names by which he is called. And, and in Revelation chapter 19, it's just amazing to me that the number of names and the way these names just continue to, uh, to, to ripple through. Here we go. 
Uh, notice the names. I'm going to read right through. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. So here we go. The rider on the white horse, his name is Faithful. His name is True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And isn't that amazing? A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, and say it. Lord of all lords, king of all kings, and Lord of all lords. I love that avalanche of names. Did you understand how holy his name is and how amazing it is that we have a name at all? That he gives us some part of him that we can hold on to, that we can reach out for? It's the wonder of the gospel. Not just that God gives us his unspeakable name, but that God gives us himself. That's the point. And here he is, the rider on the white horse. It's Jesus himself. Call him Jesus. But he's also called faithful and true, the word of God. King of all kings, Lord of all lords. I just love that avalanche of names that just come pouring out. Call his name. That's the point. Call his name. But when you call his name, it needs to be a name that can be worshipped. A name that allows us to tell the story. It's an avalanche of names, but... Notice in this avalanche of names, there's a small detail tucked right in there in verse 12. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. Here we go. And a name was written on him that no one knew except himself. What's that mean? Hopefully, by now you know what that means. Don't make me do all that again, that whole Judy Duty thing. Don't make me do that again. You understand what this means. With all this avalanche of names, faithful, true, word of God, king of all kings, lord of all lords, at the very same time, he continues to possess a name that nobody knows but himself. Nobody's gonna, you understand? He reveals himself with many, many names, but at the very same time, we don't really have his name. Understand that? You're not his equal. It's not familiar. You're not going to walk in heaven going, Jesus, give me some skin. You know, it, it, none of this works that way. These names, faithful and true, word of God, but that's as much of his burning holiness that can pass through your lips without reducing you to ash. He continues to possessed to hold this name that nobody knows, nobody can pronounce, nobody but himself. I love that. You understand? That's why we worship him. If we knew him like we know each other, if we had all of his names, understand? we understand him, we know him like we know the back of our hand, then at that point he would cease to be God. If we possessed all of him, understand, if we took that kind of relationship, if we made ourselves equal with him, then at that point, he would cease to be who he is, no longer worthy of our worship. It's that fact that he continues to be above us, continues to be beyond us, outside of our knowing, beyond anything that is common to us. You understand, he is God. He is always above, transcendent, the Lord God Almighty. You don't really ever gonna know his name. I happen to like that a lot. 
I happen to love that. With all of this flood of names in Revelation chapter 19, the very same time, there is a name that belongs to him that nobody will ever know or pronounce. I love it. I love that. On his robe at his thigh was written, here we go. This is that verse of like tattoo people really like because it's like, there you go, Jesus has a tattoo. It says right there, on his thigh was written. I don't know y'all about that. On his robe at his thigh was written this title. King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Let's talk about that. King of all kings, Lord of all lords. What does that mean, that title? It's interesting because that title on the one hand, if you're the king of all kings, like there can only be one king of all kings because if there were two kings of all kings, then you couldn't be the king of all kings. You'd be the co-kings of all kings. You see, this thing can only be given to one Lord of all lords. It can only be one king, only be one Lord. And understand, Jesus is his name. King of all kings and Lord of all lords. What exactly does this mean? I would say that this is the scripture's way of saying Jesus is sovereign over all the powers that be. Over all the powers that be. Now in the biblical world, in the world of Revelation, there's an emphasis on governments and powers and kings because that was the ancient world. In the Roman Empire, you know, Caesar was considered to be himself Lord. I mean, he was worshiped as a god. And so in the world from which revelation tumbles out, the, the, the earthly kings matter a lot, that they have a lot of authority, a lot of dominion. So to call Jesus king of all kings, Lord of all lords, it elevates him, it exalts him above all known powers, all known kings. But remember what it says in the book of Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. It says, we wrestle not against, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the unseen world. So it's really not always just that we're talking about kings and, and, and lords that are earth, like earthly kings and earthly, or earthly sovereigns that you can see, that you can look at, that you can put on a dollar bill. In our world, understand, in the life in which we live, there is a spiritual dimension, and Jesus is sovereign over all of that. All of the powers that be, the powers behind the powers, all of the powers of darkness, all of the powers of evil, all of the forces of Satan. You understand? Jesus is king and sovereign above all the powers that be, seen and unseen, earthly and heavenly, spiritual, all of that. Jesus is sovereign over all of that. So when he comes back, as we find in Revelation chapter 19, he just takes over all of that. I reminded you last week, this is kind of like the, the battle of Armageddon, except there's just no battle. Because he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He's sovereign over all powers that be. And so there is no battle. I mean, th there's no weapon that can form against him. I mean, there's just nothing we can do. He just absolutely flattens all the powers with the word that comes out of his mouth. I mean, he is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You understand that? Well, you have to understand, because to understand what this is saying, hopefully will help you understand something about your own life. This isn't just, you know, something in the Bible. It is something in the Bible. This is also describing a moment in your life. Like this isn't the future for all of us. This is the future of the world that you live in. 
Jesus is coming again. And next time he comes, it won't be like the first time he came. Not going to be no whimpering, crying baby in a manger. You understand? He will come back as a ruling king to take over, and he will take over. See, I thought y'all would think that was cool. I thought you'd think that's exciting. The problem is, I think you are forgetting how much you love the world. How much you love this world. See, you just have this picture that Jesus is going to come back and take over, but I don't really think you're thinking all this through. Because when Jesus comes back, understand, you have to be very, very mindful of which side you'll be standing on. When he conquers all of the forces of darkness and all the powers of evil, do you understand? You just got to make sure you're standing on the right side of things when he comes back. And and I just want to suggest to you that you probably ought to really examine your life, examine your heart. Because I'm afraid you and I love this world a whole lot. All these, all these powers that Jesus is, is, is overcoming and, and taking his sovereignty over. See, the problem is these are a lot of things we like. See, because when Ephesians talks about, you know, forces, powers in the unseen world, you see, this is where it affects us. It's, it's the powers in the unseen world. It's, it's the things we don't see, but, but it shapes the way we think. It shapes the way we live our lives. You, you see, for us, these powers of darkness that, that, that come after us, it's not like some horror movie, you know, with, you know, devil worshipers dressed in black, you know, sacrificing, a, you know, a cat. Or It's not, how do you think the devil comes after you? If you haven't learned yet, it's really, really pretty seductive. I'd say it this way. While Jesus calls us to be victorious, overcoming this world, the world, meanwhile, just whispers, be comfortable. Understand? Just be comfortable. This world is not our home, but we've made ourselves very much at home. Just be comfortable. See, for us, the unseen world, that's the spiritual world. And that's where everything of value, everything that matters for all eternity, that's where it it, it exists in the spiritual world. All the things that really matter, you know, money can't buy. All the things that really matter, you know, are things that you can't see, that you can't wrap up and put under a Christmas tree. At the very same time, we are material people. And, And this materialism takes over us. And so although we say that we're spiritual and we love Jesus and all of that, man, I'm telling you, we sure love online shopping. I mean a lot. Let's be really, really honest. The world in which we live is a material world. It's, it's an earthly, physical world, and we love it, and we're very, very comfortable here. Now, remember, this is the same world that Jesus is coming to make war with, the same world that Jesus comes to take over. And I'm reminding you, you've got to sort of figure out which sides you're going to be on. And this is our problem. We love the world. We love the world way too much. We love money. We want things. And Jesus makes it very, very clear in his own teachings that 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 is the very kind of desire, the very attitude that will choke out the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Chokes it out. Just your love of the world and your desire for possessions and your just a desire for stuff. I picked, I picked the wrong week to preach this sermon. I mean, seriously. 
You know, we, we always rate Christmas. If you watch the media, like Christmas is good, depending on how much money we all spend. You know, it's a really good Christmas if, 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 if consumerism was up. In other words, like the more stuff we buy for people who don't need anything, like that's the way the world measures progress and success. The more we buy for people who don't need anything. But we love this stuff. I mean, we love the world. And for that reason, we really can't even fathom that it's not going to last. That the clearest thing of all things is that Jesus is going to come again. And he's going to pull the plug on all of this. It's all going to be over. I mean, so don't waste your time on the extended warranty at Best Buy. You don't know. You don't know if you'll live to see tomorrow. It's all temporary. But oh my goodness, we just act like it's going to last forever. But it does not last forever because the scripture makes clear. I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. He judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in finest pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God. He will release the fierce wrath of God. I mentioned to you, next time he comes, it's not going to be like the first time he came. He comes to release the wrath of God on sinners. He comes to, once and for all, crush the devil and all of the forces of evil. I mean, he's coming to put an end to it. This world, your world. I, I know, the Bible uses that language of horses because that's the biblical world. That's the world that Revelation knew. But we don't live in a world of horses. But understand, it's true for us. Jesus will come and put an end to this whole thing. He's going to come and take over your world. Now, some of you won't know until he rides up on his white horse and turns out the lights in Starbucks for good, but he will. I mean, he will. It's exactly what it says. It's all going to be over. With the sharp sword from his mouth, he will say the word and the internet will go down for good and all hell will break loose. I mean, that's exactly how it's going to happen. Some of you won't even know. Teenagers aren't going to know until TikTok goes blank. But do you understand that this world that you love, all these devices, all of this pleasure that you just seek after? Spiritually, it destroys you. There is a war, there is a true battle going on and Jesus is coming to claim victory over all of it. Meanwhile, you live in this world and you've made peace with the enemy. The world just whispers, be comfortable, be more comfortable. And I'm telling you, 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 you eat that up, you swallow that whole. You seem to have no idea how far down the rabbit hole of greed and materialism you've gone until the day he comes back. I mean, he's going to come back and then you're going to see where you are and which sides you're on. And I'm afraid some of you are going to be surprised. Surprised that you just can't take the name of Jesus in your filthy mouth and be in a right relationship with him. None of this works that way. 
surprised that you just can't live your life as a friend of, of evil and a friend of the world. And then one day when Jesus comes to conquer the world, you think you're going to end up on his side. None of this works that way. I mean, he's going to come. He's going to flush this whole thing. Do you understand? He's going to take Miley Cyrus and Harry Styles and all the political parties, CNN and Fox News. He's going to take Kim Jong-un and Boko Haram. He's going to throw it all in one big bowl and flush it. I mean, it's what the Word of God says. He will come and rule the nations with an iron rod, releasing the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Just a couple of things. If he's not your king now, he won't be your king then. And if he's not your king then, you will never see the inside of his kingdom. Is that clear enough for you? King of all kings. See, that means he sits on the throne and rules and reigns. That means he has command. And if you're thinking for a moment he doesn't have command of your life, then understand, he ain't your king. And if he's not your king, you're going to be on the wrong side of this when he comes and declares victory over the world. You're going to be on the wrong side of this. And this is what I'm trying to, I'm trying to call your attention to. I don't think there's anything in this world that's more important for me to tell you than this. If he's not your king now, he's not going to be your king then. And you will never see the inside of his kingdom. But at the same time, he's given you his name. He's, he's given you his name. It's his way of, of, of coming down to where you are because you could never come up to where he is. It's, it's, it's his way of, of, of giving you something to call. That's why the scripture says, for everyone who calls... Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's given you his name so you can call upon him and be saved. Invite him to rule and reign on the throne of your life. I mean, he takes command. That, that, that's what this means. But he's a good king. He knows what's best for you. He knows where all the good things in life are hidden. You follow him. You listen to him. You call upon him. Whoever calls upon his name will be saved. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You'll never possess part of him. He'll never be familiar and common to you. He'll always be above you, beyond you, infinitely transcendent. Make no mistake. This avalanche of names that we find in Scripture, Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate Word of God, the Lamb of God, on and on, faithful and true, the rider on the white horse, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. This avalanche of names is given at the very same time. There's a name he continues to withhold. You'll, you'll never, ever really be on his level. 
that you can be in his family. He can sit on the throne in your heart. He'll be the shepherd of your soul, the light of your world. Understand what I'm saying? He has given us his name. So what this means is no matter what it is you need, and no matter how near or far away he seems to you, all you ever have to do is call his name. Pray with me. Jesus, the first time you came, most of the world never even knew. You came as a baby, slipped into a manger, anonymous mother, virgin, father in a nowhere place, in a time when there was no mass communication, no ability to broadcast your coming, to spread the news. It spread slowly with simple people, shepherds. Lord, to this day, we're still trying to spread the word, share the news that you've come so that the world can know, so that the world can understand that you have come, that you have revealed to us, God the Father, that you've given us the name that we can call. At the very same time, Lord, it's important that we, that we have this message, that we share this message because we know that you're coming again. You're coming again. But next time, every eye will see you. The trumpet will sound, and no one will miss this. No one, Lord, no one will be absent when every single one of us is summoned to stand before your throne, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. We will all, every knee bend, bow, fall on our faces, Lord, but for some people it will be too late. Oh, Lord, help us to make peace with you now. Help us, Lord, to call you King now. Help our knees to bow now before you, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Oh, Lord God, help us to see that we don't want to end up on the wrong side of this thing. But unfortunately, Lord, most of us are living our whole lives on the wrong side of this thing. Help us, Lord, to join you, to surrender to you, to allow you through us, Lord, to be victorious over this world, to lead lives that are spiritual, not just material, to teach our children, Lord, about the things that money can't buy, to value, Lord, all of the things that are invisible, unseen, eternal. Lord Jesus, we would know none of these things were it not for you. You came down. You showed us the truth. You yourself are the truth. You died for us so that we would know how to live so teach us, Lord, how to live calling upon you, knowing, Lord, that in your name we find salvation, in your name we find our peace, in your name we find our lives. We pray all these things in your holy, precious name, Jesus. Amen.